The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Micah chapter number 5, and because I'm asking you to turn to that book, I have at least 10 or 15 minutes to share some announcements with you so you can find it. Let me remind you folks that uh, the office will be closed tomorrow in uh, celebration of uh, Christmas. We continue that, so if you have a, a life emergency, please uh, hold that off till Tuesday. It would be uh, precious. No, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, the office will be closed uh, tomorrow, and uh, there will be no Wednesday evening service, alright? So just enjoy this uh, this week if you can with your family, and then we'll Begin again next uh, Sunday is New Year's Day. Once again, there'll be no uh, Sunday school in the morning. We'll just do kind of like we're doing today, one service at 1045, and uh, be a marvelous time together. And uh, so we'll start the, start the new year like that. Micah chapter number 5. Let me just read verse 1 through uh, what I would say is 5a. The very first sentence of 5 goes with these First four verses. So Micah chapter number five, uh, verse number one. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the day of eternity. Therefore, He will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of His brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and He will arise and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord His God, and they will remain, because at that time He will be great to the ends of the earth." This one will be our peace. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Father God, we come to You now in this time together, and we pray that Your Word would speak to us, member and visitor, saved and lost, that we would learn from Your Word about the Lord Jesus Christ and His birth. Um, Lord, uh, at the sake of seeming cheesy or contrived, we do want to pause and say happy birthday to our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. At the very minimum, we want to pause today and say thank you that He was born into this world for us, to live and to die and to be raised again, that we might have everlasting life. Thank you for the gift of Christmas, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. This is a beautiful text of Scripture that is in front of us. You can see there in your bulletin, I titled this uh, this morning's uh, message, O Little Town of Ephrata, right? And uh, of course, some of you might say, be saying, how do you pronounce that? Ephrata. Ephrata. And uh, this, is, uh, this is kind of a take off of that song, that beautiful song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, which I'm sure that you're familiar, the background of that song. It was written by uh, great preacher Phillips Brooks, a uh, minister in the late 19th century, and he had gone to Bethlehem, and one evening he was looking down 
uh, into the city and uh, wrote uh, the lyrics or the poem for this great song. And if you've ever been to Bethlehem, there is a, what they call the Church of the Nativity there in Bethlehem. And if you go in, it's kind of quadrant off. All, all kinds of denominations own a corner of uh, each of the church area. you got the Orthodox and the Catholic and the this and the that. And as you do the tour, tour through uh, the building there at the uh, Church of the Nativity, there's actually a little star somewhere on the ground and they say that is the exact place Jesus was born. I'm not sure anybody knows the exact place on the ground where Jesus was born, but nonetheless, they built this church in honor of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ there in Bethlehem. Well, you say, why do the, why does the prophet here refer to Bethlehem, Ephrata? Well, because he is referring specifically to this exact town. And did you know that when Micah wrote this, this is almost 700 years before Jesus would ever come onto the scene. 700 years before Jesus was to be born in order to specify so that it wasn't another Bethlehem. It was specified that the Christ, the Messiah, would be born into Bethlehem, Ephrata, a place where David himself, the king of Israel, was born. This place that was so small that it wasn't to be even numbered within the clans. This one place would birth the Savior of the world. Connie and I often play this game when we're driving in the car. We did it even this morning as I, a lot of times when I have my glasses on, I say, oh, it's even now. And the game we play is, what does that say? And if y'all don't know this, Connie has, I think, 2010 vision. And she can see nine miles away. And for those of you that know me well know that, uh, you know, I see, I see decently with my glasses on and without them, it's, I mean, it's a, you know, I don't know what I see. We ride around the car and I'll say, tell me when you go, or tell me when you can read that up there. And, uh, so we try and read signs and, uh, we read it out loud and she always reads them long before I ever get to them. And even with my spectacles on this morning, she could see the sign and read the sign long before I ever got to it. Micah the prophet is prophesying 700 years before the Christ child would ever be born in the manger. I should say that he not only had 2010 vision, he might have had 28 vision. He had really, really good vision to look into the future and to know, given from God the Father, the prophecy that Jesus would be born the King of the world in Bethlehem of Ephrata. Here's how we're going to divide the sermon today, just for a few moments. I want to walk back through the text and make a few observations so that you understand your Old Testament a little bit better. And then I want to just draw out a few points of application for us today. So look back, if you will, at verse number 5. Now muster yourselves in troops. Right, he's saying, get your military together, oh, daughters of troops. And when it says daughters of troops, he's really speaking here not only to Israel as a whole, but to Jerusalem as a city. And the reason why he says your daughter of troops is that they've been at war in this book so long with foreign nations that they're basically called daughters of troops. You, you're, everybody in your city is on edge. All of you have military might and you're fighting this constant war. And he says they have laid siege against us. And in the ancient world, when you wanted to fight against a city, you didn't just take the city, but you laid siege to the city. And it was a terrible thing. People were starving 
and couldn't drink. And they would basically starve the city out until they either gave up or then the enemy would get you so weak that they could go in and destroy the city. And that is what is happening to Israel and to Jerusalem in this passage. They have laid siege against this. And then look, with a rod they will smite the judge or the ruler, really, the ruler of Israel on the cheek. It is a humiliating death blow. Look at verse number 2, and always take note of the but in your Bible. The contrast. This ruler that is constantly under war and constantly defeated, and now verse 2 makes this great and wonderful change of mind. But... As for you, Bethlehem Ephrata. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. And the word Ephrata means fruitful one. And so he says, but as for you, Bethlehem, this house of bread where God shall supply, from you will come one who is fruitful. From you will hearken back to David, the king of Israel, who brought this great empire of Israel to its zenith. From you something will come. But look at the town. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. That is that this Bethlehem Ephrata is so small and so insignificant that who would bother thinking about this town? And I said earlier this week in a devotional moment to thank this, that God sent His Son into the world to be born in Bethlehem, a no-name city in the middle of nowhere. He could have been born in Jerusalem. He could have been born in Rome. He could have been born in a place of prominence and ruled the whole world. But God pressed His glory down into the small, little, insignificant city of Bethlehem so that all the world could be drawn in closer to Jesus Christ. Amen? Look what it says here. From you one, and that's probably capitalized in your Bible, from you this one will go forth for me to be ruler. You see, this one will be the ruler. In verse 1 of chapter 5, there's a ruler of Israel that is smitten upon the cheek and destroyed. But in this one, he will be a ruler of Israel. And notice here, his going forth are from long ago. In fact, how do we describe long ago? That is from the days of eternity. So there ought to be something going off in your theological mind today that says this ruler that will be born in Bethlehem Ephrata, not only will he be the ruler of Israel, but he was born so long ago that he was from eternity past. Interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 3, Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. And just who do you think that she is talking about? <laughs> well, in the direct context of Micah, it's probably talking about Jerusalem or Israel as a whole, often referred to in the female sense that Israel will bring about then come to the culmination of the birth to the Messiah in time. But I would say in prophecy, in those long vision spectacles, this is a direct reference to the Virgin Mary who would conceive the Christ child and bring Him into the world. 
Then the remainder of His brethren, notice, will return to the sons of Israel and He will arise and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God. And they, that is the people, will remain. They will return and they will remain because at that time He will be great to the ends of the earth, not just in Israel, not just with the ethnic people of Israel, Israel, but to the ends of the world, the name of this ruler will be great and magnified and all the world will come to celebrate Him. And isn't that a beautiful way to end it? The first sentence of verse number 5. This one will be our peace. What a beautiful passage. Brothers and sisters, if we were to go to Matthew chapter number 2, uh, you would understand today that when the Lord Jesus Christ was born, in the telling of the narrative of the birth of Christ, this exact passage is related to Jesus Christ. So let me just give you a few points today to take with you as you celebrate Christmas and you enjoy this week with friends and family. From this passage, here's the first point. Our King brings peace, not war. Our King Jesus brings peace, not war. You see verse number 1 and verse number 5 are a direct contrast and they kind of bookend or parenthesis this whole passage. You see what happens in verse 1? Now muster yourselves, you troops, these warriors, you daughter of troops. You have so much war going on in your land that I'm going to call you the daughter of war. And they have laid siege against you and with a rod they will smite the judge of or the ruler of Israel. And can I say that even in the days in which we live, the world is filled with war. Nations rise against nations. People against people. Families against families. Individual against individual. There is war and strife and angst and resentment and all of these things going on in all the world. And it's not in just today's society. All the way back in the days of the prophets, there were always people at war. But look at verse number 5, the first part. This one will be our peace. The only peace that the world will ever know is when they come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If we want nations to stop fighting, if we want cultures to stop fighting, if we want families to stop fighting, then we have to center our lives around the One who brings peace. Earlier this week as I was thinking through that passage, I thought, you know, Lord, I'm going to speak to these people about the fact that You bring peace. And when we turn on the news this week, they'll be thinking, where is the God of peace? For the world is at war. And I was trying to think of the best way that I can help you look to the future and the coming again of Jesus when one day He will reign and establish physical peace among all the nations and kingdoms of the world. And do you know where He took me to? The Bible says this in the book of Colossians that He has made peace by the blood 
of His cross. And Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, we have been justified by faith and been given peace with God. The testimony and the down payment and the surety and the promise that one day God will establish peace in all of the nations of the world is that God has made it possible for you to have peace in your own soul between God and yourself. The sin strife that is inside of all of us, the emptiness and the loneliness and the wickedness that pours over our souls daily can be made right and whole between the God of heaven and our lowly lives through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, if Jesus Christ is the kind of ruler that can go to a rugged cross and die for your sins and bring peace to your soul, then you should have no doubt that one day He will bring grace and peace to all the nations. Amen? Let me make a second point for you today. Our King Jesus is both human and divine. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 2 again. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. That is, from this city. Someone will be birthed from you. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. So there will be one. And in the next verse, verse 3, it says that there will be this, uh, this lady this, who gives birth to a child. So it is a human birth in Bethlehem. The Lord Jesus really was born flesh and blood into the world 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, Ephrata. A human birth brought into the world. But notice, not only human but divine, look at it. His going forth are from long ago, yea, from the days of eternity. Can I just give a time out and give a, just a little lesson for about two minutes? Please don't ever neglect or lay to the side the importance of believing people to esteem and hold high the doctrine of the incarnation and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is the keynote and the capstone and the anchor by which we understand God coming into the world with us. You can stop me at another time and I'll tell you about some big theological and philosophical terms. But let me just explain to you this. There are some people in the world that believe that there are a whole bunch of mythological gods that live in another universe and we live all by ourselves here and they laugh at our insignificance and how far beyond us they are. There are other worldviews from the East that say, no, 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 no. It's not that there are these uh, deities far in another planet or another world, but no, God is everything. God is the grass and God is the bushes and God is the air and God is in everything. And do you know all of that fails for if we have a God that is so far beyond us that He doesn't know us, there is no love, no forgiveness, no grace. And if God is in everything, then guess who is God? You yourself are God. And how well are you doing at that today? There is a third worldview of a transcendent God who is imminently close to us. 
who both exists over and beyond us and has come to be with us. There are three great truths in the Bible where the God of eternity brings Himself to be with humanity. You find it in the book of Genesis in creation. God creates the world. And that is the divine and humanity or the divine and the earth coming together. You say, how do we know the imprint of God upon creation? Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20 says that from the things that we can see visibly, we can know the invisible. That is the eternal Godhead and glory of God. There is another, and that is what you hold in your lap. The very written Word of God is both divine and human. It is breathed out by God. It is inspired and infallible and inerrant, and yet it was written by the hand of men. It is God and man coming together to bring us the perfect Word of God. And there is a third, and most importantly, the virgin birth and the incarnation of God with us, where He sends His Son into the world to be both God and man in one person, to die on the cross and be raised again, that we might have eternal life. Number three, maybe for all of our believers here today, I hope you'll find encouragement in this. Our King Jesus rules like a shepherd. Look back, if you will, at verse number 4. And He will arise and shepherd His flock. How does He shepherd? In the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And His name will be great at that time. Oh, brothers and sisters, as you read through the Bible, there is this unique and wonderful experience of a shepherd king. And from the very book of Genesis, in fact, if you read the end of the book of Genesis, you find that Joseph is down in Babylon or Egypt and he has risen to these high ranks and he says to his boss, can I bring my family down that they may live and not die? And he says, yes, but the people of Egypt hated shepherds, so it says at that time. And Joseph runs to get his father Jacob and all of the rest of his brothers and he says, when you come down now, don't say a word about being a shepherd. And the Bible says that when Jacob stood before the king, he leaned upon his staff as a shepherd and blessed the king of Egypt. Our God and our Christ is not just a dictatorial king. He is a loving and gracious and kind shepherd king. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He is the King of all eternity and He is the shepherd of every believing soul. He loves you on this Christmas day. He cares for you on this Christmas day. He will guide you and provide for you you can lean on Him and love Him in sickness and in health, in rich and poor, for better, for worse. Christ, the Shepherd King, will love you for all eternity. Put your faith, your trust, 
your confidence in Him today. Amen? One last point and we'll finish. And all of the children said, Amen. <laughs> Our King, Jesus, causes people to return and to remain. Look at verse 4 and 5 again. And He will arise and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they will remain. There it is. And then look at verse number 3. Let me go back and pick this up. Therefore, He will give them up until the time when she who is in labor will be born of a child. Then the remainder of His brethren will return. And this word here is not only return, but it means to turn from oneself. To return to the sons of Israel. When the Christ King Jesus comes into the world, He comes to cause the hearts of people to turn to Him and to remain with Him. And I simply would say to you today, if you're right here this morning, maybe you've come to worship with us and uh, you've been a part of this church for a long time, or maybe this is your first day here, we want you to know that this church uplifts and extols and speaks about Jesus Christ, the King of all the world. And if you will turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ, He will save you and keep you and you'll remain with Him forever. And maybe on this last Sunday of the year, all of our hearts, as we have celebrated the Advent Sundays and we come to light the Christ candle last night. What a beautiful service this morning as a fellowship together. Maybe this would be the day that you would say, at one point in my life I did turn from my sin and I turned to Christ, but I've not been remaining with Him. I've not been walking with Him as I should. See Him fresh today as wonderful and gracious and kind. Confess your sin. Turn to Him and He will keep you forever. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? In just a minute, we'll sing a song together, close our service, and have a beautiful Christmas day. But right where you are, just take a moment to pray silently. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the moment. Do not leave here today without trusting Him, casting yourself on His mercy. You are not, or He is not at your beck and call. You are the one at His mercy. You need Jesus. Turn to Him right now. Pray to Him. Ask Him to save you. And He will. And for believers here this morning, will you use this morning as an opportunity to propel you into the new year to remain with Jesus Christ, our Shepherd King? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.